Hello everybody, welcome back. It's another episode of me reading to you. So strap in for story time with Sarah. We are this week reading chapters 15 and 16 of my novel Wayward. If the people cutting the trees over the back of my garden would ever fuck off. Last time we saw Stone, aka Michaela. She was participating in a very strange ritual that has been devised by Sophia in a foreign language she doesn't understand. And after it, Everyone in the coven seemed a little bit whacked out, pale, tired. They all instantly went to bed and some of them were saying things at the same time like robots and she was a little bit concerned. So let us see if those burns are unfounded. Are you kidding with the chainsaw? Quick content warning for this week's episode. Uh, there are some mentions of drug use, uh, homelessness, some very not nice things said by a very not nice character, including a racial slur. So I just wanted to prepare you guys for that awfulness coming out at the end of the chapter. And uh, obviously this doesn't reflect my personal views, but it is part of what makes that character so undeniably horrible. So I thought I'd include it. Chapter 15. Wakey wakey newbie. I flinch out of sleep, rolling onto my back and throwing up an arm to protect myself. Someone's grumpy in the mornings. It's campy and standing over me, looking as full of energy as ever. I can almost convince myself that I didn't see her get completely zombified only last night. Big day today. You've got two lessons from me. Lots to get through. I feel sick at the thought of going anywhere near magic after last night. I don't feel well, I say truthfully. Fresh air will do you good then. There is clearly no way to get out of the lesson or away from camping. I sit up and push the covers off, crawling awkwardly out of my bed and looking around for my clothes before I realise that I'm wearing them. The glamour has worn off though, leaving me in my market stall goth ensemble. I grab my hairbrush from my bag and swipe it through my hair, glamouring myself doesn't bear thinking about. Keep those shoes sensible, Campion says, nodding at my trainers. We're going on a field trip. Is this going to end with me running from more students? No student goes where we're going, she says. Not exactly comforting. There's no one downstairs and I can't help looking around for Cray, anxious that he's not there. They went out, Campion says helpfully. Nara and Cray went into town to do some shopping. Well, nicking. Ilex and Chronicle are probably up with Sophia. Whatever I say, shall we get this over with? Okay, what's up? Campion demands. Yesterday you're little Miss Witch and today you're acting like a sport brat. I glare at her, feeling stung. That, whatever that was last night was weird. After it, you were all pale and acting really odd. We were tired, Campion shrugs. It takes a lot out of you doing a big ritual like that. What was it for? I asked. Just, you know, protecting the coven. Ilex said it was for saying goodbye to people going to Bristol. Ilex is probably having you on. There's been no one gone to Bristol since, well, it was a few months ago. Whiteheart? Can't really remember. Anyway, what does it matter? I was just thinking of going to zonk yourself out for a ritual. You should know what it's for. Protection, I told you. I'm still not convinced, Campion sighs. Look, it's a secret. You've done your first degree initiation right, but once you've learned all the tricks and spells we have to teach you, once you've passed the tests, you get your second degree. Then you'll find out all the stuff about the rituals we do. It sounds believable. Sophia seems to enjoy her role as Queen Witch. I wouldn't put it past her to have dreamt up all these tests and stages of initiation to create some mystery. Still, the ritual bothers me. I want to know what we were doing out there in the dark, what all that scary energy was going towards. We've got to get going, Campion says. It's a long walk to the other side of the wood. The wood? Yeah, we're going gathering, she smiles. This morning is all about finding and using magical ingredients. I look at the window, where rain is running down the glass in chilly snail trails. Yay. Well, I say, wiping my tree-mould-covered hands on my jeans. This fucking sucks. 
We'd walked from the house down to the lake on campus and from there around to the end of the footpath where a big sign with the university logo said, no access beyond this point. Campion went straight past it and up into the trees. Beyond that first hill was another hill, even steeper and covered in pine trees. There are big spaces of raw red earth showing here and there where the land has given way. My thighs are already sore from walking and in the last scrabble down to a sort of valley between hills, I grabbed the wrong branch and fell, getting covered in bits of leaf and grass green mould. You've been complaining for the last 20 minutes, Campion says. I've been tired and pissed off for the last hour, so be grateful I held it in that long. Campion has a canvas shoulder bag across her body and is frowning up at the branches over us. How well can you climb? Can I just catch my breath? She turns around and slips the bag from her shoulder. That's mistletoe. Old druidic magic. I know what mistletoe is, I say. We need it. And clover, holly, blackberry. Lots of gathering. We're going to find you a wand. Okay, I sigh. So how are we getting the mistletoe? She reaches into her bag and pulls out a large kitchen knife. We have to climb up there. One of us to cut it, the other one to hold it. She looks at me seriously and I feel my stomach go cold. When she pulled the knife out, I thought she was going to point it at me. If it touches the ground, it loses its magic. Right, I say, rolling my eyes. Stuff the sock, madam. Do you know what we're going to do with the mistletoe? Magic, I say, raising an eyebrow. We're going to see the future, Campion says proudly. Now get your arse in gear and get up that tree. It's a thick oak and the lowest branches are just over our heads. Campion has to duck down and give me a boost before she jumps and grabs a branch, scraping her boots up the trunk until she gets high enough to put her foot on a limb. I've never been a tree climber. When I was a kid, I was more interested in digging holes and mashing up plants in water to make soup. Skinny, cute girls in butterfly hair caps and jeans climbed trees. I belonged on the ground, my jogging bottoms and market t-shirts, wellies covered in mud and grass. We make slow progress, and Campion has to stop to wait for me a few times. My knees look tight at every breath of wind, the few leaves left on the tree shiver and my hands slip a few times on the wet bark, making my heart jump in my chest. Just a few more feet, Campion calls down from above me. I clamber up the last few branches, bile stinging my throat as a gust of wind makes the tree creak. It's okay. God, you look like you're going to throw up. I might. Not in a sacred oak, please, Campion says. Here, sit down there and grip the branch with your legs. Put your hands up for the mistletoe. Sit down? I look at the branch I'm standing on, instantly regretting it when I see how far away the ground is. How will I stand back up? Fine, stand then, but don't lean too far out, Campion warns. I think I might actually be paralysed. I can only move my eyes, and I can't imagine moving even my hands, let alone climbing down all that way. Stone, keep it together, Campion says. Reach up. Inch by inch, I put my hands up, following my shaky fingers with my eyes until they land on the ornate chandelier that is the round mistletoe plant. Campion raises her knife and starts to cut, making the tree tremble. My legs feel like they're made of stone. It's only the grip of my shoes on the branch keeping me from falling and smacking into the ground far below. Done, Campion announces, taking the plant from my numb fingers and stowing it in her bag. Let's get you down before you faint. I can't even make a joke, my mouth is too dry. It turns out that climbing up was easy compared to getting back down. Creeping down the tree backwards, feeling my way with my feet on the crumbling bark in the slick moss is almost impossible. My heart is clenched in my mouth the entire time. Each slip and wobble of my feet makes me cling tighter to the branches above me. Not far now, Campion promises from below me. I reach my foot down for the next branch, feel it solid under my shoe and put my weight on it as I step down with my other foot. The branch sways away under my weight, then I'm dangling from my hands, feet windmilling in midair. Stone! My hands slip and I feel myself go backwards, a scream ripping out of my mouth as I plunge through the air. 
The earth meets my back with a smack, knocking all the air out of my lungs and making my skull rattle. The branches swim above me. Campion's face appears under the whirling sky. Stone, can you move your legs? Ugh, I manage, shuffling my legs around on the ground. Oh, thank God. Campion grabs my hands and pulls me into a sitting position. You're not bleeding either. Lucky. She picks a stick from my hand, one I must have grabbed on my way down. Keep a hold of that, she advises, pressing it back into my palm. Ow, I say stupidly, looking up at the tree, trying to see where I fell from. How high was I? Up there. Campion points to a snap branch, ten or so feet up from us. Not that high. I sniff, and to my horror, I feel my eyes start to well up. It's stupid, but I want to go running to my mum. Campion crouches next to me and gives me a firm, tight hug, which makes my back ache a little more than it already did. It's nice, though, and it makes me feel better. Sorry I made you climb all the way up there. But it'll be worth it, I promise. Let's just get the rest of this stuff and go home. I get to my feet and rub my bruised bum. I'm really going to feel that later. Agreed. Come on then and keep your wand with you. Campion gets up and walks deeper into the wood, eyeing up the trees and the plants that grow among the drifts of leaves. I look at the stick in my hand, a foot-long piece of oak, knobbled and dark, as thick as my index finger. My wand. Wait for me, I call, jogging after her. That afternoon in the wet woods, we gather enough random greenery to keep an underworld florist busy for a year. There's the mistletoe, clover, blackberry leaf, ferns, apple tree bark, holly, nettles, deadly nightshade, hemlock, a toadstool that oozes black blood when Campion cuts it, rowan berries, yew, and about 50 other things that Campion names as she directs me to cut leaves and take bark flakes from various plants. As we troop back towards the campus, Campion takes us round the farthest edge of the lake and motions for me to crouch behind a dripping hedge. We watch from between its leaves as a group of middle-aged hikers tramp past, oblivious to us. They have no idea, Campion says, a note of smug wonder in her voice. We come to look at the scenery and walk around, talking to each other about land prices and the weather, and they have no idea what's living right here in the centre of it all. She turns to grin at me in the shadow of the hedge. Witches. Real witches who take these pretty shrubs and flowers and use them to make things happen. Campion, usually the most level-headed in the group after Cray, is scaring me a little. She's never spoken like this to me before, so serious about magic and so contemptuous of normal people. Stone, you're one of us. Don't waste that power because one ritual gave you goosebumps, she says more gently. You were meant to be a witch. That's why you came to us. You were always meant to come here. She squeezes my shoulder and I feel a little better. Still nervous, but less about Campion, more about what's to come. The bag of herbs and plants is heavy in my hand, and I know there's a lot of potential in that bag. The potential for great magic. I remember my plans to use magic to get my parents to take me back. How had I forgotten my goal so quickly? Admittedly, I've been busy with Cray and learning magic. Mm. Well, Cray again, but to forget my parents. Best get back, Campion says. The potion we're making, it's better when the ingredients are fresh. I set thoughts of my parents aside. After all, they're most likely not thinking about me. Do I even really want them back? I ask myself as we walk back to Wayward, loaded down with magical ingredients. Do I really need them? The feeling of falling out of the tree comes back to me, my sudden sharp longing for my mum, of her kind face and the cup of tea she'd make me if she knew I'd been hurt. But she hadn't been there. Campion was. Mum didn't even know I'd been hurt, because she'd sent me out of the house and told me never to come back. I think of calling home again, of telling her about the tree, about falling, to see what she'd say. Would she even stay on the line if she knew it was me? As I climb after Campion into Wayward House, I catch sight of Cray sitting on the sofa. He takes one look at my muddy clothes and drops his notebook. What happened? Are you okay? I shake my head. I fell out of a tree. We were picking mistletoe. He frowns at Campion. You made her climb the oak tree. Did you get hurt? He asks me. Not really, just scared. 
I shrug off my wet and filthy jacket. I'll get you some tea. I think we've got some of those instant heat pads as well. That would be great, I say, because my back is really starting to hurt. Craig kisses me lightly on the mouth, making me blush as I watch him go into the kitchen. That is just sickening, Campion says, smiling like a cat. Good for you. Yeah, he is, I say, settling down on the sofa and glamouring my clothes clean and warm again. Who needs parents when I have friends, magic, and a boyfriend I can rely on? Chapter 16. It gets dark while Cray and I snuggle on the sofa drinking tea. He shows me diagrams in his notebook, signs and what he calls sigils, magical symbols that invoke different powers, the elven star used in alchemy, runes, alchemical signs for the planets and the elements. The others leave us alone, and I'm happy about that. After the weirdness of last night's ritual, I want some time with him, time to remind myself of all the good things at Wayward. Cray is definitely a good thing. Having his arm around me, so close I can rub the soft sleeve of his hoodie between my thumb and finger, is the best thing I have ever felt. Campion taps on the door and pokes her head round. Potion time stone, if you can tear yourself away. I smile at her, gently easing away from Cray. Time to go be a witch. I'll keep the sofa warm, Cray says, letting me go but catching my hand at the last moment and kissing it. Be back soon. Campion takes my hand. You can't rush Keridwen. Who? I ask as she pulls me up the darkened stairs and onto the landing. Celtic goddess of prophecy, knowledge and wisdom. The crone, the old mother. Goddess of the dark mirror, Campion says in a creepy voice, leading me to a room I've never been into before, which must have been the upstairs bathroom when the house was a normal house. When Campion swings open the door, I see that I was right. The light from lots of candles reflects off of cracked white porcelain. The bath is full of rubble, with tea lights wedged in between the chunks of concrete. The floor has patches of linoleum, but it's mostly bare wood. Someone has drawn a pentacle, the five-pointed star within a circle that represents the elements, on the mirror over the sink, where pillar candles have made long stalactites of wax that drip almost to the floor. On the board floor is a circle painted in black, the triangular images for the elements added all around it. In the centre is a camping stove with the gas turned low. A dented saucepan bubbles over the blue flame. Take a seat, says Campion. I've already made the potion. I'll give you the measurements later. That's not the important part. Anyone can follow a recipe. So what's the important part? You have to know when and how to gather the ingredients for one. That was this morning's lesson. If you let the mistletoe touch the ground, gather lavender when it's not a full moon, your potion is not going to work right. Lesson number two is to call on the power of the right deity to bless the potion. Deity. Well, in this case, Keridwen. Now I'm really confused. But you guys all said that magic came from the elements and from inside myself. That it got channeled through my chakras or whatever. Good to see you were paying attention. And yeah, that's all true. But you want to ask a dark goddess for power? I feel my skin prickle with unease. Is that safe? Campion smiles, her teeth white and gleaming in the candlelight. Safe didn't get us the mistletoe. Campion. Oh, relax. The old gods and goddesses, they all have different faces. Maidens and hunters and crones and warriors, but none of those faces is evil. They're all part of nature. I still have my doubts. I've seen what my power can do. I believe in that. But the power of a goddess... I try to imagine a crone, and all that comes to mind are Halloween-style witches, black cowls and long noses and withered faces, opaque eyes and extra fingers and warts. No thank you. Look, Campion says, here's a lesson for you. There's no such thing as bad magic, okay, or black magic. No goddess is evil, no power from anything, even the most poisonous toadstool, is bad. Magic is like raw metal. You put in the work digging it out of the earth, melting it, purifying it, shaping it, it becomes what you make it. You can make a knife and stab someone, or you can make a pot and cook a stew to feed the hungry. It's all about the witch. It's not carried when it's dark. If your intentions are dark, 
you'll call up magic and make it that way. Kiridwen is a source of power and old wisdom. She can show you things and take you to amazing places, but she's not going to make you do evil. I'm still not certain, but I can tell Campion is getting impatient, so I nod and follow her lead when she sits cross-legged facing the pot. This, for the purposes of tonight, is Keridwen's cauldron, Campion says, gesturing to the roiling green-brown water in the saucepan. There's a legend that Keridwen had a potion brewed that would give whoever drank it wisdom and mortality, but only if they drank three drops and no more. After that, it would poison them. That doesn't help calm my nerves, neither does Campion's next move, as she produces two metal camping cups, the kind that look like mini saucepans, and slot together. We will invoke Keridwen and ask her blessing on this potion, that it may give us prophecy. Isn't there mistletoe in there? Yes. Okay, even I know that's poisonous. And yet you're still alive, Campion says. What? We gave you some of it at your initiation, to help you commune with the divine. You drugged me? I can't believe it. Those horrible, cold sweat-inducing dreams about the past of the other cover members. That had been caused by some poison they dosed me with. It's completely safe, Campion says. The recipe is tried and tested. Sophia uses it every full moon to see the future of the coven. I look into the pot. If she's telling the truth, I've already survived the brew once, and aside from the vivid dreams or visions, whatever they were, I'd felt okay when I woke up. That doesn't make me any less pissed that they're giving it to me without asking. Had Crane known about that? You gave it to me without telling me. Campion looks apologetic. We only wanted you to see things from our perspective, see how good the coffin is. Besides, it's only like smoking a bit of something. Don't tell me you've never done that. My face goes hot. But if I have more now, I'll have more than three drops, I point out, and Sophia definitely has. That's just a story, a fairy tale. A little knowledge can be a powerful thing. That's the lesson. Knowledge, well... That can hardly hurt me, can it? Just knowing something, drinking a little bit of potion that's probably no more harmful than, say, a can of white ace and a spliff, can't really be such a bad thing. Okay, let's do it then, I say decisively. All right, close your eyes and we'll start the invocation. All you have to do is chant the name Keridwen in your mind and I'll do the rest. Okay, I close my eyes and begin to chant inside my mind. Keridwen, Keeper of the Cauldron of Rebirth, Lady of Prophecy, Goddess of Wisdom and Renewal, I invite you into our circle. We ask that you bless us with the gift of foresight, of primeval knowledge. As we drink, let us embrace the death of all things and the new life that follows. Let us see beyond the turning of the wheel. I think it's an okay poem, but kind of a silly thing to be saying in a bathroom full of candles over a saucepan of bubbling weeds. While Campion chants it all over again, I focus on the darkness of the inside of my eyelids and chant Keridwen. As the pinpricks of candlelight make shapes on the insides of my eyelids, I fight to clear my mind. After a few moments, I find that I can see the cauldron, a classic witchy black pot, bubbling with a black brew that reflects the last sliver of the moon overhead. The image blurs and changes in details, I lose focus and regain it, but the pot and the moon remain mostly the same. Sitting on the wet grassy ground, haloed in moonlit mist, is a woman in a black cloak, an old woman with a strong face and bright blue eyes. She looks sort of like my nan, but from pictures before she got all tiny and bird-like and went mental. She looks like she's been expecting me, like she's sussing me out, but liking most of what she sees. My internal chant breaks off with a question. Keridwen? She smiles a small smile and lifts up her hand, which is holding one of my nan's teacups, cream with green flowers on it. Inside is the same potion from Campion's pot, green and bubbling like a witch's cauldron in a cartoon. I reach out and take the cup, raising it to my mouth to drink. The berries are beautiful this time of year, Keridwen says, but so many are poisonous and they are so alike. Bitter liquid burns my tongue, and I swallow. 
I blink my eyes open and find myself staring at Campion, holding one of the metal cups in my hand, my tongue furred with leaf residue. You were really zoned out, Campion says approvingly. I already closed the circle. Now what? I ask, lightheaded. Now you go to sleep and see what the goddess has to whisper to you, Campion says, after you're done being disgustingly coupled with Cray in the living room. I manage to get up and stand in the circle, blinking and trying to make my tired eyes stay open. I might just have to go to bed. Campion gets up, frowning. If you're sure. Are you all right? Fine, just lots of walking and climbing today. I need to go lie down. Tell Cray I'm sorry and I'll, I'll see him tomorrow, will you? Of course. Oh, take this. She hands me the metal camping cup. Add it to your collection. I can't even say thank you. I'm too tired to form any more words. Getting from the bathroom to the bedroom is hard enough, like I'm walking underwater with pockets full of stones. I cross the dark room and drop the metal cup into the shoebox I rescue from downstairs to keep magical things in. My penknife, Afme, my wand, and now a cup, or chalice, as Cray had called it. I pull my sleeping bag and blankets over me and fall to sleep almost instantly. I have no idea what Caridwen wanted to show me, but as I look up at the great rusted ferris wheel, I'm fairly certain there has been a mistake. I'm in a theme park, or a fairground, one of those travelling ones that turn up from time to time in Victoria Park. Rides, rigged games and junk food. The perfect opportunity to get pissed or high and listen to loud, tinny pop music, watching the spinning lights of the carousel in the dark. This fair doesn't look like it travels anymore. The ferris wheel is rusted. Parts of it have fallen off. A seat, a crossbeam. There are little trailers and a few wooden booths where I suppose games were supposed to be set up. Catch a duck, win a prize, coconut shy. Test your strength, China smash. Shoot three targets for a bear, hot dogs, candy floss. But all the signs are peeling and faded. Grass is growing up against the trailers. There are no prizes to be seen, and beyond the rusted helter-skelter, there's a Wurlitzer that's blackened and charred, the painted boards behind it warped and twisted by flames. Here! I turn and see Crow frowning at the abandoned fairground. He looks so tired. There are bruised-coloured smudges under his eyes, and his hair desperately needs a wash. What? I ask. He seems not to hear me. I suppose you're right, he says, and starts walking towards the nearest wooden shack, which has candy floss painted on it in faded pink, outlined in gold. I open my eyes to the bedroom at Wayward, feeling like an elastic band has just been snapped in my brain. What was that all about? Hardly an amazing vision of the future. My mouth tastes like stewed tea and my eyes feel all gritty. Ugh. Sitting up, I realise it's morning. The multicoloured throws tacked over the boarded windows make the light coming through in oranges, blues, pink and purples. Desperate to wash the taste of the potion out of my dry mouth, I get up, pull a blanket around my shoulders against the freezing air, and hurry downstairs to find a can of coke. There's no one in the lounge or kitchen, but I can hear voices in the back garden. Through the window, I spy Chronicle and Campion perched in one of the plastic chairs. Chronicle has Campion sitting across her lap, and the legs of the chair are sinking slowly into the muddy ground. As I watch, Campion clasps her hands behind Chronicle's neck and leans in, her face hidden by Chronicle's red hair. At least now Ilex can direct his sneers at someone other than me and Cray. The kitchen is freezing. Literally, the water in the bottles by the sink has crusts of ice floating on top. The sink itself doesn't work, like the sink and toilet upstairs, so it's where cans of fizz and lager are stored. I take a can of coke, then notice that on the back of the kitchen door is my old handbag, the one I'd had with me the night I was kicked out. There's nothing useful in it, just my school ID and my dead phone. An idea occurs to me. Setting aside my can, I dig around in the bag for the phone. It's just a dead piece of plastic, but... I stare at the black screen and try to imagine energy crackling from the air around me, flowing through my hand and into the phone. For a moment, nothing happens. 
Then I see the screen flicker and a second later, the phone lets out a little tune to tell me it's turning on. I have nine voicemails and 57 texts. Feeling disconnected from the squat and the laughter from outside, I start to scroll through them. Chloe. Back from the trip, totally bored. I need to debrief you on what happened with Nick while we were away. Text me back, yeah? Chloe. Fine, bitch. See you at school tomorrow. Chloe. What the fuck, Kayla? Everyone at school says you ran away from home. Tash says you never even called. What's going on? Chloe. Kayla, we're really worried about you. Do you still have your phone? Why aren't you replying? Call me ASAP, okay? Tash. Kay, come home. I'm sorry, all right. We all really miss you. And my mum is really pissed at me for not telling her sooner that you came over that night. Chloe. Your parents are really worried, Kayla. I'm scared. Can you please just call me? I won't tell them where you are, I promise. On and on. Clearly, they don't know my parents kicked me out and said I wasn't ever coming back. They all think I just ran off on my own. And as for Tash, the lying bitch, she's blatantly told Chloe that I didn't come to see her when she'd been the one to turn me away. The last message is from Chloe, sent today. I don't know if you're out of credit or if your contract ended, but I'm going to be at the cafe by the Abbey with the big cookies. If you can't reply to this message, please just show up today, 1pm. It's only then that I realise it's a Saturday. Since I stopped going to school, all the days have blurred together. The clock on my phone tells me that it's currently 11.30. It'll be a push to get into town for one, with weekend buses being what they are, but not impossible. I could text her back or call, but what would I say? How would I explain the last few weeks in a way that would make sense to her? Now I have to see her, face to face. There's a small part of me, a growing part, that knows I need a parachute or a safety net, an escape route. The ritual with the white stones has me spooked and my dream from the night before hasn't helped. It was a warning and now it's lodged at the back of my mind. I don't know what that fairground meant, but it had felt final, like visiting a graveyard. The end. I take my handbag and look down at my clothes. They're okay for being at the coven, but are they okay for meeting Chloe? I try to remember what she dresses like, how I used to dress before I met Ilex and Chronicle and the others, who costume themselves like they're plucking clothes from a magical dressing up box. Chloe likes pink and tight jeans, dolly shoes and big handbags with gold charms on them. I decide to glam on myself how I want, in a black velvet dress and heavy black boots, with a purple shawl around my shoulders, the blanket a helpful addition to my tiny wardrobe. It feels wrong to be leaving the house by myself, I haven't done so since I arrived. I've always had Cray or Nara or one of the others with me. I don't like it. It's like I've locked myself out with no coat to keep me warm. But at the same time, it's almost a relief to not have them watching me, asking what's the matter. I get on the bus with a casual blinding hex and take a seat, looking out of the window as the fields crawl by. Some unforeseen roadworks and a huge crowd of Bath Robbie fans holds the bus up a lot, and with the usual Saturday traffic to contend with, I arrive at the cafe with only minutes to go until one. It's a cheap cafe, a bit better than McDonald's, but not by much, with oilcloth tables and cans of coke in a fridge by the door. The windows are always foggy and the place constantly smells of chips. I pay for a can of coke and a bacon sandwich as I've yet to eat anything and take it up the crazily leaning stairs to the upper floor, where the linoleum is sticky, but where it's usually quiet. Chloe and Tasha and I have a lot of bitching sessions up here, watching the people plodding past outside and making fun of whoever annoyed us that week at school. Seems so long ago now. I'm pretty sure the woman at the till doesn't even recognise me. Chloe is sitting in our usual spot, looking out through a porthole she's wiped clear on the steamy window. Her blonde hair is even longer than it was when she went away. Must have had time to get some extensions added. Her feet are tucked under the table in their new Nikes, and she's fiddling with her gold C necklace with one hand. She peers down at the street. Hi, I say. She jolts and whips her head around. Then her eyes go wide. Kayla? Yeah. I go over and set my plate on the table, putting my can next to it as I sit down and pick up the ketchup bottle. Sorry, I'm starving.
Where the hell have you been? She hisses. Her tan hand reaches across the table and grabs mine. Her plastic nails graze my knuckles. We've been worried sick. They even had an assembly at school. People are putting flowers outside the gate for fuck's sake. This is news to me. My parents kicked me out. Well, they've been keeping that quiet, she says. I mean, I heard the police had been round there, so maybe the school got onto them when you didn't show up. It's been in the paper. Everyone's looking for you. Well, I'm fine, I say, and can't resist adding. No thanks to Tash. I went round there the night they kicked me out for having all that weed in my room. She wouldn't let me in. Said she reckons I stole stuff last time I was there. Chloe's eyes flicker, and I remember that I'd also taken money from her dad's wallet, plus a flu Blu-rays that I'd traded with one of the girls who was dealing with me. Anyway, she wouldn't let me, and you were still off on that sodding trip. So where did you go? I... I falter. Can I tell her? She'll think I'm mad, or a total loser for buying into this witch stuff. Already the urge to please her, to stay on her good side, has returned. What, she says. Are you sleeping rough? Her eyes almost gleam, the same way they do when she talks about other people's breakups and pregnancy scares. That same pleasure at watching someone's drama. No, I have someone to stay, with friends. Friends, she frowns, and I feel a smarting sting of anger. She doesn't believe me. New friends, I say. My anger prompts me to add. Friends who are there when I need them. Hey, I was on that trip. I didn't even know about all this until I got back. But you wouldn't have had me to stay even if you had been here. She huffs like I'm being difficult on purpose. Well, Mum and Dad might not have let me. Anyway, what's the deal with these friends? You're dressed like a pikey stoner. I haven't smoked since I got kicked out, I say, realising it's true as I say it. Chloe doesn't look impressed, but that gleam is back. Are you on the hard stuff now, then? Like what? Heroin? I see her scope out my arms for needle marks. I'm not on drugs, Jesus. I pick up my sandwich and rip a bite out of it, feeling as usual like a hefty cow beside Chloe's tiny body. So what are they, then? Are you hanging out with all the homeless piss bags? Those old men and the scary woman with the dirty hair? Can you even wash? I see her eye my hair with some disappointment, as I glamoured it extra clean and perfectly styled. I live in a house with some other runaways. They're all our age or a bit older. One dropped out of uni, but they're all really cool. I seize my chance to score a point on her. Um, one of them, the guy that took me there, he really likes me. We're going out, I think. I feel my heart sink into my stomach when she rubs my hand pityingly. I've read about guys like that in company. They find some girls, like, a really needy one, and then they pretend they're interested until they can get them to go on the game for them. I snatch my hand away from her. That's not it. Cray's the best person I've ever met, and he's a lot smarter and better looking than those twats you let in your bra after a few drinks. Well, at least someone wants to get into my bra. She gives me a tight, pitying look. This Cray's probably just happy you've still got your teeth and occasionally rinse your pants. Yeah, well, at least he's not a two-faced bitch, I say. You don't give a shit about me, you only want the gossip. You never give a fuck about anyone but yourself. Her face turns scarlet under its cakey foundation. Fuck you! You know what, you've probably got lice and crabs, and I bet you're on fucking heroin, and you'll get AIDS from that scummy pink boyfriend, and you know what, don't come crying when you do. You're such a fucking cow, Michaela. My name is Stone, I say. Don't call me selfish when the only reason you wanted to talk to me was so you could cash in on whatever horrible thing you thought had happened to me. You're a gossipy bitch, Chloe. Stone. She laughs at me like I'm a snivelling kid on my first day of school. What the fuck are you even on? I'm a... But the word witch sticks in my throat like a bone. I can't get it to come out. I try again as Chloe looks at me with a wrinkle of disgust in her forehead. Still, I can't say it. I stand up and grab my bag, breakfast forgotten. I just want to get away from her. This was a horrible idea. Freak, Chloe says, shoving her chair back and coming after me. Everyone at school is going to hear about this. 
I turn around and forgetting in that second that I'm a witch, that I've thrown rugby players into walls and spoken with a dark goddess, I hawk up all my saliva and spit in her face. Then I'm away down the stairs through the cafe. I shove the door open and leg it across the street. Well, that episode was quite fraught with teenage drama, wasn't it? Um, There's a lot going on in these last two chapters and hopefully I'll be uploading chapters 17 and 18 soon because obviously there's going to be some fallout from Michaela's old life uh, getting involved with her new one. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and uh, don't forget to check back for updates and reviews on both CastBox, wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube where I do my unboxing videos. In the meantime, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye!